Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Amen. You know, the amazing thing is, is whether you realize Jesus is Lord or not, he's still Lord. Like, why not just live as though he's Lord? Because he is. Right? He's the Lord of those who don't even believe he's the Lord. He still is. Like, when Peter's talking to the people uh, on the day of Pentecost, he says, now you see this Christ whom you crucified, that God has made him both Savior and Lord. He was crucified for your sins to be your Savior. He was resurrected to newness of life and sits at the right hand of the Father as your Lord. And, and, and we have to be really careful that we don't just want Jesus to be Savior and not make him Lord. That, that he's not just our one day when we die, then we'll receive what Jesus paid for, that we actually yield to his Lordship now so that we walk in the fullness of what Jesus paid for now here on earth. Not just one day. Like, he doesn't just want you to show up in heaven and be like, oh, so, so this is who you are, Jesus. It's nice to finally meet you. Like, you can know him now. Amen. You can know him now. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they would know you, God, and believe in me, the son who you sent. That, that, that idea of Jesus' lordship means that whatever was Lord before isn't anymore. doesn't matter what it is. Whatever was Lord isn't anymore because Jesus is Lord. So where once my day was dedicated to me and what I wanted and how I felt and, and, and my own selfish desires and making sure that in every situation I was the most important thing, suddenly Jesus takes that place. And now I wake up in the morning for him. I wake up in the morning with a new why behind my life. My, my reason for living changed because I have a new Lord. Like, if you meet Jesus as Savior and Lord and your life looks the same as it did before you met him, you may not realize that, that you didn't really meet Jesus. You met a form of him. You met an idea of him. You met what someone projected and told you he was, but you didn't meet the Lord who sits at the right hand of the Father with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. Because when he becomes Lord, things change. Life looks different. It has to. For anyone whose life doesn't radically change when they make Jesus their Lord, what we're saying is, I was walking so close to Jesus without even knowing who he was. I accidentally stumbled into the amazing life that God called me into, apart from his spirit and without making Jesus Lord. All I had to do was say a prayer and then keep living the way I was because I was that close to Jesus. I doubt it. I just doubt it. Because every man was born into Adam. Every man must be born again into Jesus. Every man. Every woman, everyone. Um, but the, the amazing thing about it is, is once you say yes to him and you actually make him Lord, like there's so much joy in his lordship because you realize like what he's called you into isn't to make your life miserable. It's actually because he wants you to live what you were created to live from the beginning. All he's asking you to give up is things that were never meant to be yours to begin with. Like you weren't meant to live carrying the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation and all those things that you're carrying right now, the secret life and the hidden stuff. Like no one can live that life forever. Like it will break every person. Like you were never meant to live that way. All he's asking you to do is give up what you were never meant for so that you could say yes to what you were always destined to be because you came forth from the Father. You're supposed to return to the Father. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. 
He's not the firstborn of just a few. He's supposed to be the example in all things for all believers. Like, like we have this idea, I think, if we're not careful in Christianity, and it's everywhere. Like people are say, well, like, oh, in Western Christianity, listen, it's in Eastern Christianity, it's in Northern, it's in Southern, it's in every part of where everybody called Jesus Lord, where we have this idea that there's like lukewarm Christianity, and we think that that's Christianity. And, and I'm not saying this like to scare you, I'm saying this to like encourage you and challenge you that like, I don't think that Jesus calls spitting people out of his mouth Christ-like. Like he says to the church in Laodicea, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. In other words, you're just apathetic. Like you're not on fire and you're not like cold. You're just somewhere in the middle. You're just kind of going through the motions. You're just kind of going with the flow. You're just kind of going through life just, just haphazardly. He says, I wish that you were one or the other. And because you're not, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. Like who wants to be spewed from the mouth of Jesus? I don't know that we can say, like, that's lukewarm Christian. Like, I don't know that, that him saying, I'm going to spew you from my mouth, is him saying, you're so Christ-like, which is what it is to be a Christian. It's little Christ. It's little anointed ones. It's ones who follow Jesus. Like, it, it's not just for a few to radically pursue the Lord. He's the pearl of great price. Like you find him and it's like, I'll give my life for this. And everybody's pursuit of Jesus does look a little different because we're all gifted differently. We're all called to different things. But the radical level of surrender and yielding to Jesus should not be different in any of our lives. Like he's calling for every person to deny themselves and come after me. That means that every single one, he said, if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself. That's anyone. He didn't say, like, if anyone wants to be a radical Christian. He didn't say, like, if anyone really, really, really wants to pursue me, if anyone wants to be known as, like, radically following or crazy in love. He didn't say that. He said, if you want to follow me, anyone, the first thing you have to do is deny yourself, then take up your cross and follow me. And we have so many times in our lives that we don't even want to deny ourselves and we're wondering why it looks different for us to follow Jesus than what we read about in the scripture. It's because we haven't done the first thing he asked us to do and we're trying to do the second. We've got it out of order. It's like, no, you don't carry your cross and then hopefully one day you deny yourself. You deny yourself and then you take your cross and then you actually can follow Jesus. Look, he said it, not me. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. What do you want to hold on to anyways? Like I asked myself, I'm like, what would you hold on to? Like, what is it that's worth holding on to that you wouldn't gladly give up for the pursuit of Jesus when you actually see him for who he is and what he's done in our lives? And I've been, this, the, that word apathy, um, I, I, we've been, it's, it's come up in a lot of conversations that I've been having with different people. And I was talking to Patty the other day about it. And she said, you know, I felt like the Lord showed me that. And she went back in her text log. And it was at the end of 2016, she sent a text out to the prayer team about how she felt like the Lord was wanting to shape, shake apathy out of the church and shake lethargic out of the church and for people to step out of that place. And, and so I just was praying about that. I'm like, Lord, that's obviously a big deal. What is such a big deal about it? And this is what I felt like you showed me. The other night in the sauna, I, I go in the sauna and talk to him. It's what I do. And I was, I was praying about that and really just chewing on that. And I felt like he said this. Apathy leads to, well, he said, apathy will lead you to, um, gosh, I have it written down. Compromise. Yeah, I have it written down on my phone. I was thinking comma. 
Apathy leads to compromise. And yesterday's compromise becomes today's normal. And today's, uh, and today's compromise is yesterday's unthinkable sin. And it doesn't even have to be like in days. Like you could take it in years and you could say, yes, last year's compromise, that's this year's normal. This year's compromise is last year's unthinkable. And, 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 and but on the other hand, it's like obedience leads to righteousness. And last year's radical obedience is this year's normal. And today's radical obedience is tomorrow's normal. And we keep going from glory to glory, but it's one or the other. Like we're either walking in obedience unto righteousness or we're walking apathetically into um, compromise. And, and, and I felt like the Lord was saying like, listen, it's one or the other. Like today, you are either where yesterday's compromise got you or where yesterday's obedience got you. And where you are today will become normal after a time. Things in your life that once were unthinkable will become normalized one way or the other, whether unto obedience to Jesus or compromise into the flesh. And so I, I just I was thinking a lot about that, and, and I was thinking just about that thing of obedience and, 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 of, and of, of apathy and how, like, I feel like the Lord would way rather have someone who is zealous for him and is a little bit misguided than somebody who doesn't have any zeal but knows everything in their head. And, and so I, in thinking about that, I started thinking about Peter, right? Like the Apostle Peter, uh, um, uh, is, he's the first one to step out of the boat, right? Like they're all in the boat. All the disciples are in the boat, and all of them hear the word of the Lord, which says, come. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. But Jesus says, come. All that was necessary for them to step out of the boat was carried in that word, come, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So when he said, come, that released everything necessary for every person in that boat to step out. But the only one who steps out is Peter. And yeah, he sank after a little bit, but he walked. Like, why, why do we always look at, like, the worst part of it? Like, well, yeah, then Peter sank. and Jesus, Jesus wasn't afraid of Peter sinking. He went over and picked him back up. But he walked for a while. Like, we're so focused on the negative that we'll look for the worst in every situation and then make that the story. We'll find what the son did wrong and name the story of the prodigal son instead of looking at what the father did right and name it the love of the father. And sometimes I feel like we do that because to find the worst in a situation makes us feel better about the things in our lives. So we call him Doubting Thomas because one time he said, I won't believe it unless I see the scars in his hands. We've labeled him. Do you think in heaven he's known as Doubting Thomas? No, but he's thinking about this. Before that, when Jesus said that when they wanted to kill him, and Jesus said, I'm going to go there. And Thomas says, well, if you're going to go, let's go die with him. Like, why not call him Thomas the Courageous for the time he's ready to give his life following Jesus rather than call him Doubting Thomas for the time he said, I won't believe. Because sometimes finding the worst in somebody makes us feel better about the worst in us. I'm serious. Listen, guys, like, like, don't make it about the fact that Peter sunk after a few steps. Make it about the fact that upon hearing the word of the Lord, he stepped out and did the physically impossible because his faith suspended the laws of physics. Like literally, the faith that he had that came by hearing Jesus' word suspended the law of physics. That's amazing. 
That's the whole thing. Like, that's the point of the story. If you take something from that, it's I need to hear the word of the Lord because once I hear the word of the Lord, then I can have faith to actually step into what he's calling me to. That's why you have to know that you can hear his voice. That's why you have to believe that his sheep hear his voice and know his voice because faith comes from hearing his voice. Yes, in the written word, but also by his spirit speaking into you and by him speaking to you. Like Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice and know my voice. The reason he wants you to hear it and know it's him is because when you hear Jesus and know it's Jesus, it stirs faith in your heart because faith comes from hearing him speak. And then you can actually step into things that were impossible before he spoke. And that's what faith is. And apart from, from faith, it's impossible to please God. And he calls us to live a life pleasing to him. That must mean that he creates opportunity every day for us to live by faith. He's not in heaven hoping you don't please him and begrudgingly saying, well, I guess they were good today. No, he wants you to live a life pleasing to him. So every day he creates opportunity for you to live by faith because living by faith is what pleases him. Y'all need more coffee. I'm telling you. So, so Peter's the first one. I, was just, I, I started thinking about the, 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 the times where Peter's talked about a lot. He's the first one to say you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's not the first one to know it. Like all the disciples were with Jesus when the, when, the, when the demonic realm called out and said, what do you want from us, son of God? Why have you come to torment us before our time? They, they heard when God called him his son. They heard when Jesus said what he came to do. They, they, they heard every time the demonic realm would call him the son of God and, and the son of David and son of man and all the different things they call him. Everybody heard these things. And it's not like the father just gave Peter this revelation. I'm sure he gave the same revelation to all the disciples. But Peter's the first one who actually dares to speak on what he knows. So Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they all answer. Why? Everybody can talk about what people are saying. You ever notice that? It doesn't take the Holy Spirit to gossip. It doesn't take revelation from heaven to talk about what people are talking about. Because when he said, who do people say I am? They all answered, well, some say you're this, and some say you're that, and some say you're that. He says, but who do you guys say that I am? It takes actual revelation to be able to say what God's saying. I know. Because it isn't mine. <laughs> Because I've never seen that before. I preached the same message earlier and never even heard, thought of that. And I just, as I'm reading that, I thought, man, that's incredible. It doesn't take any revelation from heaven to say what men are saying. It takes revelation from heaven to say what God's saying. Just make sure that when we're speaking, we're speaking from a place of revelation rather than a place of information. The last thing we need is people repeating what men have said that isn't true. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Some say that. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he looks at him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that you're Peter, the rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. Peter isn't the first to know who Jesus is, but he's the first that says, I'll actually speak on what I know. When everybody else is content to talk about what people are saying, I'll actually speak up even though no one else has said it before. Sometimes you have to be the first person in the room to say something because you're the person with the revelation of what God's saying. Yeah. Take courage. Amen. Take courage. It's okay to not just repeat the echo chamber and actually say something different because you've heard the heart of the Lord. Ooh, it got quiet in here. Everyone in here is thinking about, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. 
Don't worry, they're probably watching on live stream. They just won't tell you. <laughs> Peter's also the first one to say, I'll never let that happen. When Jesus says, the Father sent me here, and I'm going to go, and they're going to kill me, and Peter grabs him and says, I'll never let that happen. He's the first one to grab a sword and try to physically stop them from taking Jesus. He's... <laughs> He doesn't have everything figured out, but he acts on what he believes he knows. And you notice that like not everything he did was right, but that didn't stop Jesus from using him. Turn your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want to talk about a couple of these instances, and I feel like the Lord is, is really wanting to just shake us loose from this idea that we have to have everything figured out before we can do something. Like, sometimes we sit back and it's like, well, I don't know everything. Well, what do you know? Why don't you act on that? Maybe the Lord can use that more than he can use somebody who won't do anything because they don't know everything. And so Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. You just think about that for a second. He just got done saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This is literally a paragraph later. And Jesus says, I'm going to go. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the scribes. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be raised up. And Peter grabs him and pulls him aside and rebukes him. After just saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter is now like, I am the rock. He stepped quickly into his name. Like he believed what Jesus said about him. He's like, that's right, I'm not a shaky reed, I'm a rock, get over here. And he begins to rebuke the son of the living God and says, Lord, God forbid it, Lord. The one you just said is the son of the living God, the Christ, is telling you the plan of God over his life you pull him aside and ask God to forbid the Lord from doing what God told him to do. Your theology's jacked up. <laughs> he says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man, what's he saying? One, in one instance, just a, a paragraph earlier, Jesus is talking and he says, who do men say that I am? And Peter answers and God, Jesus is so, so excited about the, the revelation that he got and how he got the revelation. He gives Peter a new name. He says, you're no longer the Simon, the shaky reed. I call you Peter, the rock. And, and he's telling him, you heard from my father. And then the very next thing that comes out of Peter's mouth is, get behind me, Satan. And I think those two are in the Bible so that we understand that just because we hear God speak in one instance doesn't mean that everything we hear is God speaking. And the reason he was speaking something that was actually from the enemy and not from God was because he allowed his selfish interest to determine what he would say. That's why you have to deny yourself if you're going to follow Jesus, because if you're listening with a selfish ear, you'll speak with a selfish mouth. And you could be talking out of God's out of the, the revelation from God in one sentence and in the next sentence be speaking your own selfish interest and actually speaking the word of the enemy. 
But you notice Jesus doesn't say, I guess I was wrong about you, Simon. He still calls him Peter. Why? Because he believes in people way more than we do, and he doesn't take the screw up to mean that it negates the good thing that Peter did that he called him Peter for. He's not so quick to change his mind like we are. In fact, he believes in people way more than we believe in them. He does. He's convinced that he began a good work, he'll finish it. I wish that we were as convinced of that in our own lives and in the lives of others. And so, so, so Jesus corrects him for letting the enemy influence him with, with selfish thinking, right? And then in Luke chapter 22, like, he literally physically attacks the servant of Malchus with a sword. Like, they come to take Jesus. Jesus said, they're going to come and get me. Peter rebukes him, and, and, and Jesus rebukes Peter, but Peter's still got a sword. He's like, hey, I'm not going to let it happen. And they come, and, 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 and Peter, like, stands up, and, and listen to this when, when you read it. It says, when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? It's not like Peter was the only one with the idea. They're all asking, like, should we strike now with a sword? Before Jesus can even answer, though, and one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut his right, off his right ear. We know that one was Peter when we read different accounts. So here's what's happening. There's other people around. There's other servants of Jesus around. There's other disciples of Jesus around. And, and they are wondering and they are all asking, should we strike with the sword? Lord, should we strike with the sword? And before Jesus can answer, Peter stands up, takes the sword, whack, and cuts the ear off of Malchus' servant. And trust this, he wasn't trying to cut Malchus' servant's ear off. Just Malchus's servant was a little quicker than Peter's sword. And instead of taking his head off, he took the ear off. Was this what Jesus wanted to do? No. So what does Jesus do? The same thing Jesus will do if you step out and do what you feel like you're called to do in an instance and you get it wrong. He'll fix it. He grabs the ear of Malchus's servant, puts it back on his head, and heals him. And you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't pick up the ear and stand there holding the ear and look at the Pharisees and lord it over them and go, you guys want me to heal him? You saw what I did with the man with the withered hand in the temple. You saw what I did with Lazarus. You heard about Jairus' daughter. You know about the centurion's servant. You saw what I did with the lepers. You guys want me to heal him? I could heal him. But it's going to cost you guys. You're coming here to arrest me. You got swords and clubs. You want me to heal him? Put your swords down. He doesn't do that. Why? Because the gift of God on your life is not there so you can manipulate people into doing what you want. The gift of God is on your life so that you can love people and make them whole. It's never so that people look at you. It's always so that people look at him. When people encounter the love of God and the power of God on your life, it should always leave them better than it found them, and it should never leave them wanting something from you. It should leave them wanting something from him. It's never meant to manipulate it's never meant to get what you want, and it's never meant to bring attention to yourself. You notice Jesus, what does he do? Doesn't say one word. He picks up the ear. He says, that's enough to the disciples. What's he saying? I don't want to have to do this again. I've got things I need to do. I can't spend my whole day putting body parts back on, so would you guys please stop? <laughs> but you notice it's not what he wants them to do because he tells them to stop, but you notice he doesn't turn to Peter and call Peter names and tell Peter, I thought, I, I thought, I, I thought you knew what I wanted, Peter. Why would you do something like this, Peter? I guess you really are Simon. I guess I was wrong. He doesn't change his mind about Peter. He just fixes Peter's mistake and then keeps on going. Why? 
Because he trusts Peter. Why? Because he trusts that the Lord is greater than Peter's failures. And I believe he honestly believes that one day when Peter gets it right, it'll be worth it to have to put up with the things he's done wrong because he'd rather redirect zeal than try to motivate someone who has no zeal and no purpose and is unwilling to do anything. Yeah, you've never got anything wrong, but you've never got anything right. So you've, you have this flawless record of never accidentally doing something that wasn't what God wanted you to do, but you've never actually unintentionally done anything that he called you to do. What good is that? Where can you find that in the scripture? All you can find is grace when we miss it. All you can find is Jesus saying, go and do these things and knowing that you're not going to do it perfectly, but believing that if you're trying, he can redirect zeal a whole lot easier than he can try to motivate someone to get off the couch. Right. And so, so he puts, the, he puts the, the, the ear back on the, on the servant and he doesn't always have everything figured out, right? And sometimes, yeah, yeah he is the guy that, that denies him three times. You know what's amazing about that? What's amazing is that before he denies him three times, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail, and when you have returned, strengthen my brother. How many of you understand that like, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much? You believe that. It's scriptural. I hope you do. Half of you are unsure. Well, it's in James. So it's, it's worthy to be trusted that the prayers of a righteous man avail as much. How many of you believe that Jesus said, anything you ask in my name according to my will of my Father, it will be done? So how many of you would believe pretty easily based on Scripture and Jesus being Jesus that the things he prayed for actually came to pass? Yeah. So when he prayed that Peter's faith wouldn't fail, did Peter's faith fail? Well, only if we look at what Peter did as a failure, as his faith failing. But Jesus isn't looking at the times when Peter missed it. He's looking at Peter's entire life and saying, you're better than those failures, Peter. You're more than your, your worst moments. I'm not going to judge you as a failure because you failed. I'm looking at your life, Peter, and I see the times that you failed, but man, I see the times you got it right. And I believe my prayer was answered because you're more than your failures. You're better than your mistakes. And I believe in you beyond where everyone else would give up. You never cut someone's ear with a sword. You never tried to, like how many of you honestly in here ever tried to kill someone with a sword? How many of you honestly in one day denied even to a little child that you even knew Jesus? Never mind a follower of his. I'm not even, like Peter doesn't even want to admit he knows him. He's like, I never knew the man. Three times. And yet this is someone who Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. Why do you feel like such a failure just because you've had times where you failed? Jesus believes in you a whole lot more than you believe in yourself. And he's way more than willing to fix the mess that's made by you stepping out on what you believe and what you think you know. It's, I'm, look, am I saying don't have good theology? No. But am I saying not having perfect theology will keep you from being used by, the, by God? Obviously not, because here you have a man who says, I'm never going to let you do the thing that you came to earth to do, and so much so that I'll try to kill someone with a sword to keep it from happening. And God says, that's zeal, though. I can use that. There's some things you need to learn, Peter, and there's some things I need to teach you, but I can use that zeal. I can redirect it. I'm not afraid of you, Peter. I'm not afraid of cleaning up the mess. I'm not afraid of having to come and put a servant's ear back on. And I'm not going to give up on you just because you got it wrong once because I believe you're greater than that failure. And Peter, even, he goes back fishing, but even that, turn, turn your Bibles real quick. In John chapter 21. Even then, like, like so, so Jesus tells them, I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to be raised up in three days. And some, for some reason, all they are focused on is the fact that he was killed. They forget that he promised that he was going to be raised again in three days. 
Sometimes the thing we see has way more influence than what he said. They see him killed, and it overrides what he said was going to happen. Be real careful that you don't allow what you see to be more important than what Jesus said, or you'll find yourself mourning the death of someone who's actually alive. John chapter 21, verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John talking about himself. How many of you realize that like every one of the disciples could have called themselves the disciple Jesus loved? It's not like he loved John any more than the rest of them. John just had a revelation of how much God loved him. And you want to know where the revelation that that he was the one, that that Jesus loved him, got him? He's the one who's leaned up against Jesus' chest, that the disciples who would say they loved God enough to give their lives for him couldn't get to Jesus the way the one who understood that Jesus loved him could get to him. You, You knowing you love God will only get you so close. It's you knowing he loves you that will actually bring you in as close as John was right up to his chest. The the one who was convinced that he loved Jesus enough that he would give his life for him and never let stuff happen has to ask John, who never says any of that stuff, but understands that Jesus loves him and is leaning on his chest and says, ask him who it is. Be convinced that you love him, but be more convinced that he loves you. Because knowing he loves you is the thing that will allow you the confidence to actually draw near to him and lean up close to him and hear him speak. I promise you. So, so therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Remember, Jesus is, is, is on the shore, and they're fishing, and, and they're horrible fishermen, because once again, they've caught nothing after fishing all day. And this is what you always see. The only time that we ever see them catch something is when Jesus does a miraculous thing, puts a coin in a fish's mouth, or tells them where to put their nets. I'm serious. These are professional fishermen. I mean, it's the reason why it was so easy for them to leave their nets and follow Jesus. They weren't catching anything anyways. Like, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Well, we stink at being fishers of fish, so maybe, we, maybe there's something to this. Let's go. <laughs> Once again, they've been fishing, and they've caught nothing all night, and Jesus appears on the, on the shore and says, hey, guys, you catch anything? No, throw them over the other side. All right, we'll do what you say. They pull it. All of a sudden, there's more fish than they know what to do with, right? And all of a sudden, because of this, this revelation, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says, it's the Lord. Knowing that Jesus loves you and knowing Jesus caused John to, when he saw something that looked like Jesus, to be confident and say, it's the Lord. But look who's the first one to act. And Peter said to Peter, it's the Lord. So Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Knowing it's Jesus is one thing, saying, if that's Jesus, I have no business being in this boat and getting into the water to get to Jesus as fast as possible is another. It's that seal thing. It's that thing where John knows it's Jesus, but Peter's like, if that's Jesus, I got to get to him. It's that zeal thing. It's, it's the zeal that, that, that Peter has, right? Look at this. I never even saw this before until when I was reading it. So when they got out on the land, when they, meaning who? All the other disciples, got out on the land, they, the other disciples, saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, all of the disciples, Bring me some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus says, some, I, go get me some fish. 
Who's the first person that runs down to grab the net and start pulling them in? It's Simon Peter. It's that zeal thing. It's that thing saying, if I know what you've said, I'm going to act on it. I don't need to hear anything else. If I hear you say, come, I'm gotten out of the boat. If I see people trying to kill you, I'm going to try to defend you. If, you say, if it's you standing on shore, I'm getting in the water and I'm swimming to you. If I hear God say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to proclaim with my mouth what I know that the Father has spoke to me. And I'm not going to worry about the fact that I'm the first one and the only one in a room full of people that claim to know you to say it. And if you need fish, I'll be the one to go get the fish. Why? It's the zeal thing. And then you look and you see, who was the person that when Jesus, I'm going to close with this because we have something else we need to do at the, at the end. Um, but you, you look when, when, when God's looking and he's saying, I need someone that I can trust with a revelation that the Gentiles can actually be saved. And he's going to give someone a vision and he's going to trust that seeing that vision and hearing his voice would make it possible for them to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. The person he chooses to give the vision to and to send Cornelius to see, it's Peter. Why? Because he trusts if I tell Peter something, he'll act on it. He may not have got everything right up to this point, but one thing he's done is every time he's thought he'd heard me, he's acted on it. And I can use that. When he needs someone to stand before the Pharisees, and declare to them that the man they killed is actually the Christ who's the Savior and the Lord. And, and, and on that day, thousands of people stand before the, Peter and say, what must we do to be saved when God's looking and saying, I need someone who will preach with conviction a truth that they've never heard before and won't worry that it might be offensive to them. Who is it? It's Peter. It's a zealot. It's someone who didn't get everything right along the way, but God said, listen, I can take that zeal and I can tune that in and I can make you get it right, Peter. But what I can't do is I can't make a lazy person that doesn't want to follow me. I can't make the Pharisees yield themselves to me. They have all the knowledge, but inside they're like whitewashed tombs. I can't use knowledge that won't actually do something with it. I can use zeal without a, with a lack of knowledge and I can teach you what I need to teach you. Right across town, not far away at that same time, there's a young man born into the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, raised and taught by, by Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of his time. As to the righteousness that's found in the law, he's perfect. He's zealous as to zeal. A per this is what Paul says about himself as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And when God's looking down from heaven and deciding, I need someone who will actually take the gospel of the new covenant into the, all the ends of the earth and will plant, plant churches everywhere and establish faithful communities. Oh, and also, he, he's also going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He doesn't look down and pick someone who's sitting on his couch knowing everything. He picks a man who's actually doing the wrong thing, but with the right heart and with zeal. And he says, you know what? I can take that zeal and use that. Amen. And he knocks him off his horse and says, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's me that you're persecuting. In other words, listen, I love your zeal. I don't want to crush your zeal, but I need to direct it the way that it needs to be directed. And when I'm looking for someone that's going to take the gospel to the end of the earth, and I'm looking for someone who's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament, I'm picking the person that nobody else would have picked because I'm looking and going, listen, he at least will act on what he believes. So much so that he'll, he'll go to the ends of the earth to try to do the thing that he thinks is right, and he thinks he's doing it for me. 
I can use that. And I'm not saying, like, go out and do the wrong thing. I'm saying, go out and do something. And trust that if you're wrong, like, he'll correct you, and he'll fix it, and you'll learn from it, and you'll grow from it. He won't give up on you. He didn't give up on anybody else. And I feel like there's a lot of people right now who are crippled because they're waiting until they know everything before they actually do something. It's like, you know something. You know what God's done for you. That's enough. You could start there. You could share your story with every person that you meet about the kindness of the Lord that led you to repentance and about his lordship over your life and about him removing your sin as far from you as the east is from the west and all things passing away. Behold, everything's been made new. You carry the gospel of reconciliation to the Father in your heart. Like, you have that. Start there. Start with what you have. Like if God doesn't give you a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or some kind of manifestation, so what? Share what you have and maybe when you're faithful with the little that you have, he'll make you ruler over the great that you don't have. But I promise you, like why would he pour out more if you're not using the little that you have? Like why would he trust you to be obedient with great things if you're not being obedient with little things? He won't. And I'm saying like I'm, I'm preaching this whole message to make one point to you. Like, I think that God would rather have someone who's zealous after him that he has to redirect every now and then than someone who has no zeal and has everything figured out in their head and does nothing with it. Because if I search through the Bible, all I can find is him using people who are willing to be used. Not him using people who had everything figured out and did nothing with it. I wrote this down. I'm going to read it. I think Jesus would rather have a heart that will act on what it knows than a head that knows everything that does nothing with it. So am I saying like knowing good theology is not important? No. And all you're getting, get understanding, get wisdom. Am I saying that go out and do something wrong intentionally? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. Don't be afraid that what you're going to do is going to backfire so much so that you never do anything so that you can stand before him one day and say, I never got it wrong. I never missed you. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you've never missed God, if you've never got it wrong, you've probably never stepped out in faith. Because faith requires you to step into things that you don't know fully and you don't understand fully. But you know what you know, and so you step and you act according to that. I just don't want us to be a people. Like I do, I feel like God's calling his people just to be a people that say, listen, I don't have everything figured out, but the things I do know, I'm going to act on those and I'm going to trust him with the things that I don't. And if someone asks you a question as you're sharing the gospel and you don't know the answer to it, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's actually refreshing for people to talk to somebody that admits, I don't know everything. They already know it. It's not like you're letting them in on some big secret. You know, like, I don't know everything. Oh my gosh. Like, come on. Nobody thinks you know everything. No one expects you to know everything. Share what you know. The things that you don't tell them, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure about that. And here's what you can do in those situations. Why don't you give me your number? I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to look into that. I'm going to seek the Lord on that. I'd love to catch up with you sometime. And when I feel like I have an answer for you, I'll talk to you. Now what you've done is you've ensured that you have a continual way to speak into their life where you already started to deposit truth. What have you lost? What do you risk by sharing what you know and using what you have? Nothing. And if along the way, Malchus's ear gets chopped off, he'll put it back on. He's good like that. He's good like that. So if there's anyone here who you feel like, as I'm talking about this, this is speaking to you, like you've been crippled by fear of getting it wrong to the point where you've never risked getting it right, I want you to stand up and we're going to pray for you. 
that you would have courage to step out. Yeah, come on. I'm serious. Like, if, if you, we're going to pray. If you want to come down front, come on down front, bro. <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to. You can just stand right where you are, or you can come down front if you want to. It doesn't matter. But come on. Is there anybody else here who would say, like, I have let me, the fear of getting it wrong cripple me to the point where I've never really risked it to get it right? Anybody else? We're going to pray. All we're going to pray is that you have the courage to step out and act on what you already have. You're not, like, lacking something. It's not like you're waiting for that day when you arrive. You're never going to arrive but you've already got everything you need for life and godliness through the revelation you have of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of his son. Is there anybody else before we start praying? Yeah. Come on. Yep, there we go. Come on. I'll be surprised, honestly. The first service, everybody stood up. No pressure, I'm just saying. <laughs> Those Christians in the first service, they all stood up. You guys are like, that's the heathen service. Of course they did. <laughs> no, really, I think all of us could use a little bit more courage. I think all of us could use a little more stepping out and acting on what we know. I think all of us could use a little bit more of just trusting God and saying, Lord, I want to be faithful with what I do have so that I can be made ruler over much. And for those of you that are sitting, that's awesome. I'm so, no, I mean that. I'm serious. I'm thankful that you're stepping out and you're acting on everything you know without the fear of getting it wrong. And we just pray more on you. We pray that you continue to do that. Pray more. God, let them, let them just get it. keep doing it. Keep stepping out. Keep using what they know. Keep sharing their testimony. Keep telling the gospel to people, God. Keep laying hands on the sick and believing they're going to recover. God, keep taking authority over things that are not of you, Father. More, more, more for everyone that's seated. But God, for those who are standing, would you just come, Father, and give courage? God, would you give us the, the trust in you, God, that's greater than the trust in ourselves? Father, that ultimately you would be Lord and we would trust you rather than us being Lord and trusting ourselves. And Father, we don't want to get it wrong, but Lord, we're, we're, we're willing to step out on what we know and trust that it's you, Father, and we trust you. We trust that if we need redirection, if we need correction, God, if, if, you, if you correct those you love, God, if we never do anything wrong, how could you ever correct us? Right. So Father, let us be those who need some correction now and then out of your love for us. But let it be not because of our apathy. Let it be because of our zeal. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, um, is, is Brandon here? Yeah, here he is. Come on up here, Brandon. Brandon and Lindsay, come up, come up on stage so everyone can see you. Um, so we, we just have a quick announcement to make. Um, about November, um, Patty sent out a, a letter. To, she sends an email to our leadership team. And, and something that she wrote in the leadership email in November was that she felt like the Lord was, was saying that he's going to be um, doing shaking and rearranging in our leadership team. And so we didn't know what that meant, but we started praying into it and praying into it and just trusting that it was from him. And, and uh, about a month ago, we started having conversations with Brandon about just kind of where he's at in life and work and twins and two girls and dad, father, and all that stuff. And, and, and we realized that there were things he was trying to do that were really outside of where his gifting lie and that he wasn't having the time to do all the things that he really is gifted in. And so we started talking about what that could look like. And, and what we came up with is, is um, he's still going to be on stage leading worship. He's still going to be in charge of the Wednesday night um, uh, the music at the Wednesday night worship service that we do, but also he's going to step back from doing the leadership and administrative and organizational stuff that he's been doing, um, which is things that, that really aren't in his heart to do and that the time just isn't there for. And it frees him up to do songwriting and, and do things that, that we have coming up that way. And so Brandon's been here for 10 years. He's been the worship leader for three years, and we owe him so, so much. 
Yeah. And we're, we're thankful for him. We're also, th- we feel like the Lord's showing us how to do things like this well, where it really is good for everybody and where there isn't a hidden story of what really happened, where we're not projecting something from stage that's not true. And that's why we wanted Brandon and Lindsay to be standing up here because we wanted you to have confidence that like, it's actually a good thing for everybody. And, uh, and we prayed into it and, and the board and, and I talked through it extensively. And we're like, God, we don't want to do anything that's not good for every single person that's involved. And so um, we started praying about, well, if, if Brandon's stepping out of that place, um, who would step into it? And we've prayed about it for over a month, probably two months now. And one name kept coming into mind over and over again. And we kept praying and asking and praying and asking. And, and it was Lindsay Vartanian. And so she's stepping in as creative director and worship leader. Um, she started about two weeks ago, actually. And surprise, surprise, the worship's still awesome. <laughs> because listen, like, like what has been built here in the culture of worship is, is something that we are adamant about preserving and protecting. The only thing that's going to happen going forward is there's going to be more structure, organization, because it's something Lindsay's both gifted in, but also has the time and the heart for. And so we're really excited about where God has taken us, but we're also excited about where he is going to take us um, looking ahead. So we wanted to tell you guys so that if you, if you notice anything different, you're not like, hey, what went on? Because we honestly want to be transparent in everything we do as a church. And we want to be able to stand in front of you guys and say, this was the Lord. And the Lord's good to Brandon, and the Lord's good to Lindsay, and the Lord's good to the worship team, and the Lord's good to our congregation, and the Lord's good to his people. And we'll never do anything if we can't stand here with, with a um, clean conscience and be able to tell you guys that. Because that's where we are. So would you guys extend your hands towards Lindsay and Brandon? We're going to pray over them. Father, we thank you for Brandon and the man that he is, the worship leader that he is, the husband that he is, God, the the father that he is, the friend that he is. We thank you for everything you've put in his heart. And God, we just pray that as he steps into his new position, God, that you would give him the time to pour himself into his first love, God to the things that he loves and the things that that feel like they're life-giving, God. And we thank you for for allowing us, God, to see how we can do this in a way um, that brings greater life to everybody. God, that one person isn't blessed at the other's expense, that you bless all of your children. And God, we thank you for Lindsay. We thank you for her heart and God for Lee and their family. And and God, we we thank you for Lindsay uh, uh, Carlson, God, and and the sacrifice that she's made over the years for Brandon to be able to be here with us and as she's raised children, Father. And we just pray that you bless her and bless their family, God. We pray for Lindsay and Lee as as Lindsay steps into this position, God, that you would give her your heart for this worship uh, community here, God, and and for the creative uh, arts here at Outreach Church. And God, we thank you for what you're doing. We're so excited about everything you have done and everything you will do going forward, God. In Jesus' name, amen.